Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. So Jesus is alive. Praise the Lord, right? <clears throat> so this morning, I just want to talk about these unprecedented times that we're living in. Um, you know, this, this past week was Holy Week. Today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but I want, to, um, I want to talk a little bit about what I feel like the Lord is doing because as we celebrated Passover recently on Friday night, even in the nation of Israel, we were all locked in our quarters and locked in our homes. We are all quarantined, and it's really the first time I have heard of <clears throat> in hundreds of years, maybe 2,000 years, where we have had the nation of Israel actually physically having a real Passover where there is a plague in the land and they are having to stay in in order to be safe. And so I just want to talk about that for a minute because if there is a real Passover, we also know that there's a real exodus. And in fact, the Lord has been very clearly speaking to me about this, not just the Passover, but also the coming exodus. And so I want to talk to you about that. If you look throughout God's word, you're going to see several patterns in his word when he was dealing with his people. So in his word, he has three exoduses. Every single time there was an exodus, there was one goal. Every single time there was one goal, and that goal was to rebuild his temple. That goal was to reinitiate worship temple worship. And so I wanted to go through these. I have eight things that I've listed that every exodus in biblical history has had these same elements. Number one, there was always the prophetic or the prophetic word that was in the earth before the exodus. God doesn't do anything unless he tells his prophets first. And God is still speaking today. He's still talking to his prophets. And we have to have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. So prophecies about an exodus, or in our case, prophecies about a revival, or prophecies about a, har a coming harvest. And we know that that's in the land. And so what it does is, number two, it causes a cry to start to well up in God's people. And they begin to cry and intercede and pray. And today, we've got an international prayer movement that is all over the earth. And they are crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Send revival, send revival. Come, Lord Jesus, pour out your glory. The third thing is increasing darkness of culture. And a lot of that has to do with when the light begins to get light, things begin to, get, to be shaken. The fourth is the Passover or the calling out. So there's a Passover, and then there's a calling out. There's an exodus. And so on the 4th, God's doing something. What he's doing is he's actually separating his people from the people of the culture. That's what's happening right now. Right now, in all over the world, not just in America. This is not an American thing. This is a worldwide thing. This is an, a thing that is happening on the earth that God is doing. 
There is a calling out, and I'll tell you about that in a minute because I had a dream about it. Number five, he calls out the remnant first. And so there's always a people that are pressed in, the watchmen that are listening, they're watching, they're hearing the Lord, and he's calling them out first. They will be the first that go out. And then the others, they will be the ones, I believe, in the days to come, that will be the ones that harvest. They will be the laborers who begin to pull the harvest in. Number six is the glory of God falling. The glory of God that is falling. Number seven, resources poured out for the revival. Number eight, the rebuilding of the temple of worship and connection to God. Every single time that there was an exodus in the Bible, God has been after his people from the very beginning. He has been after a, a deep connection with his people where he communes with them face to face. And so once again, he is drawing us home into his heart and so that we can commune with him. So I want you to see this like it's written in bold red letters. It is all about the temple. It was all about the temple then, and today it is all about the temple. So I want to tell you about this prophetic dream that I had. The Lord spoke to me in a dream, and in the dream we were the camp of the Lord. And we were like, okay, we're going to camp, meaning we're the camp of the Lord. And you've heard that. When there's an exodus, he called his people in, in, in the book of Exodus when they left the place of Passover. Now they were called the camp of my people, the camp of my people. And so we are all gathered together as a camp, and we are, um, we're, gonna, we're like, okay, we're about to go out, but let's pray before we go out. Well, we didn't just join hands and bow our heads. We actually... Um, laid on the ground with our faces on the ground all the way. And we began to pray like that. And as we did that, I heard the audible voice of the Lord in the dream. And he said this out of Exodus 8.23. He said, I am making a difference between my people and their people. And so when he says their people, what he's talking about is the people of the land or the people of the culture. And so God right now is looking and he's saying, where are my people? Where are those who are called by my name who will humble themselves, who will bow before me so that I can begin to move on their behalf? And so we've been quarantined, we think, because of the plague. But God said, no, 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 I'm not quarantining you because of the plague. I allowed the plague you to, so that the plague would force you into a place where you had no excuse not to pray. So that you could come home to me. So you've got the, the working dads and the stay-at-home moms, and the moms are like, man, I'm too busy. I got too many kids. Well, guess what? Dad's at home now. There's no excuse for you not to carve out that time in prayer. And you heard me say this last week. Uh, we would pray if somebody said, hey, I'm going to give you $5 million if you'll pray two hours a day or you'll pray an hour a day. I will guarantee you you'll pray. I'm going to put this away because I don't want it going off. John, can you grab this? Thank you. 
All right. Thanks, babe. All right, so that's what I feel like the Lord is saying. I left that place of prayer after he said, I'm making a difference between my people and your people. And guess what? I was in a hurry. Just like Israel was when they left the place of Passover, they were in a hurry. They had to get out. They had to get out. And they were like having dinner fully clothed with their, their cloaks on, with their sandals on, with their staffs in their hands. And they're like ready to go. And I felt like the Lord was saying, get ready, get ready, get ready, church, because I am moving fast. And when I've called you to move out of the place of, of where I passed over you, it is not a time to leave the connection with me, but watch how I begin to move on your behalf. And one of the key things that I couldn't do in this dream, I could not go back to the place where I used to get provision. The Lord said, no, you cannot go back. You have to go forward because your provision will be found along the way that I'm taking you. And so you can, um, you can look that up. I actually wrote it out. Um, you can find that on um, my um, website, tracyeckert.com, or you can find it on Facebook. I did a video about it. And there's a lot more detail about what the Lord said. But I want you to go look at that or I want you to read it because it's about your journey. In the days ahead, God is talking to the body of Christ and he's talking to his remnant and he's saying, pay attention and wake up. All right, so on this day, we're celebrating the remembrance of Jesus. So I want to I want to come back and I want to talk to you about that when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and, and we call it Holy Week or the week of passion. But as he comes into Jerusalem, he's there to celebrate the feast of the Passover right? So he has that in mind. And, and so all of his disciples are thinking, you know, we're going to, we're going to go do what we've always done. Everybody goes into Jerusalem to, to celebrate Passover. But Jesus knew what he was, what he's walking into. He knew that it was his time, that he was the Passover lamb that was going to be slain. And so as he comes into the city, we talked about this last week, but there's the Hosanna and the highest and everybody's celebrating. He's here victorious. We're going to get rid of the Romans. It's going to be so great. We're going to establish the kingdom of David again, and it's going to be so amazing. Well, God had a bigger plan. Don't you know that with your life, we think small, but God thinks big. God always has something a lot bigger, broader, wider than what we could possibly think. And so Jesus knew that there was about to be another exodus. And actually, his activities up to Passover, his activities that he did actually was laying the foundation and, the, and he was setting the stage for this coming transition. And I believe that's the same thing that he's doing right now. So when he came into Jerusalem, it's very interesting what he did. He picked a fight. So what does he do? He goes straight to the temple. He starts to overthrow the tables of the money changers. He begins to make a scene. The Pharisees are standing right there. They're watching this whole thing go down. So think about that for a minute. What would that look like today if Jesus came into the churches of America or the nations? And he began to throw down the money-changing tables. Think about how we would respond to that. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. Just meditate on that. He goes right to the temple. So he turns over the money and he, money changer tables and he declares this. My house 
is to be a house of prayer. Says the same thing that he's saying today. My house is called a house of prayer. My house is called a house of intimacy. My house is called a house of connection and love and romance. My house is where I connect with my people. It is where they are with me and I am with them. That is what my house is all about. My house is to be a house of prayer. And then he goes on. The Pharisees are standing right there. He goes on to speak parables to them. And he begins to talk to them because they're like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Jesus, you're upsetting our traditions. You're upsetting our programs. You're upsetting the things that we have had in place all along. By whose authority are you doing all of this? Remember they ask him that over and over and over and over and over. By whose authority are you healing on a Sunday? By whose authority are you doing the things that we don't do? But what is he doing? He's coming in to rebuild his temple. So then he goes on to call them this. Okay, wait for it. Because this is so incredible what he says. He says this, right? He calls them blind guides, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. He calls them serpents, brood of vipers, and asks them, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? I don't know. I'm not thinking they're going to be BFFs at this point. Because they are not hearing the Father's voice. They are hearing the voice of their father, which he said was Satan. Man, oh man, oh man. There's no recovering from that. There's no kumbaya after that. You know, he very clearly drew a line in the sand. And so what he did is he pressed back on them so hard that it was like an offense, not like, an offense grabbed hold of their hearts. So not only is Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons. He's become everybody's favorite. But now he is offending the hierarchy of God's church. So then he goes on and he begins to teach about the end times. His disciples are right there. He goes on and he's like, okay, let me tell you about the days of the end. Let me tell you about the time of my return. Because you're going to need to know these things. Because there were several things that he said that would happen in the generation of his return. That many Christs would show up and they would declare that they are Christ. The second thing, there are going to be many false prophets that arise. Crying out, peace, peace, everything's good. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. And then the third is that the, the people that don't know God, their hearts will grow cold because they will be offended at God. So at that time, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So in Matthew chapter 25, he just tells them straight out. It's interesting how they never really got that. They were like, what is happening? They're killing you. Oh, no. But he tells them, and he had told them several times over and over and over and over, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. And so the chief priests at that time, they heard that, they overheard that, and they, and I believe at that time that jealousy and offense grabbed hold of them, and that's when they began to plot his murder. 
And at that time, Jesus goes back to Bethany, which Bethany is kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem. And so it would be like if you were in Dallas, you're going to Plano, you know. Uh, And so he goes back to Bethany. And when he gets to Bethany, there's this amazing young woman there whose life has been so transformed by Jesus. Her name is Mary. We're all very familiar with her. Well, she does something that is, um, I believe, initiated by the Holy Spirit. She takes her oil and she pours it on on his head, her expensive oil. And this isn't like a small little, what we, you know, we've got a little vial of anointing oil. No, this is a flask of oil. This is a large bottle of oil that she takes and she pours it on his head. It says here um, in Mark 14, verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. And we see this also in Song of Solomon, which I believe was prophesying, where the Shulamite said this, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, because what was happening right there is is that Mary was anointing him. Well, we know she was anointing him for his burial, but it was so much more than that. Because historically, again, in the word of God, God used anointing oil, these flasks of of anointing oil to be poured out on two people. Two offices were anointed with oil poured over their heads and dripping down their beards. It was the high priest and it was his king's. And so I believe what Mary was doing is she was anointing him for those two offices. And that leads me to where I want to go next. Because as Jesus then was betrayed by Judas, and as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he was crucified, as he was beaten, as he was accused, he could smell spikenard. The fragrance of Mary's oil was on him, and everything that happened to him after that moment in Bethany, he could smell her worship. She said to him, you are the high priest. You are anointed for king, to be king of the universe. And so she is anointing him for those things. And so every time all of this grueling two days that he goes through after that, I mean, even when he's, he's sitting there at, at, the, at the supper and he's washing their, uh, the, the, his disciples' feet, still, he's got oily hair that smells of the fragrance of her worship. I think it's so beautiful. From this point forward in every way that Jesus was accused It has to do with his assignment and the reason that he was born. And so the first thing that happened is he's taken before Caiaphas, who is the high priest. And Caiaphas 
ask him a very interesting question. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Verse 57. So Jesus, it says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. And they asked him these questions. They began to talk to the people of the land and they are the people that had been assembled there. And what they're looking for is they're looking for somebody who can be a false witness against Jesus. So, so in the assembly that they had brought together right here, they're beginning to question who can bring false witness, who can bring false witness, who can tell us that he said something that is heretical. Who is it? And so they all are like, well, we don't know. Okay, now Jesus was, was, was in his ministry for three years. And, and you can look at all of the Gospels and you can see that Jesus had a lot to say. Jesus preached a lot. He preached the Gospel. He taught in the synagogues. He, there was so many things that he shared. And so it's very interesting. They finally find a false witness in verse 61. This fellow said, I am able, uh, okay, hold on, let me see. Uh, let's look at verse 60. Um, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So out of everything they could have accused him of, what was it? What was the accusation? What was the accusation that they brought forward? Of course, they're talking about the temple because Jesus had declared that he was about to rebuild a temple and they didn't know this at the time because they're looking at that saying, how can you, how can you rebuild a temple that took us, you know, 20, 40 years to, to build? How is that physically possible? They didn't realize that, again, he is the king of heaven and earth and he is, a, he is the king of all of the universe and his kingdom is not not of this world, and he's about to establish a temple made of human hands that will never be destroyed. Oh, wow. Verse 62, and the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. It's very interesting that he didn't ask the question, tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that is going to save Israel? He didn't say that. He said, are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? Are you the holy one? Because remember, we know the end of the story because it's not the Messiah that comes to live on the inside of us, but is the whole, it is that anointing oil, the oily one that comes to live on the inside of us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? So he asked him the question. Now, look, God is leading. He's filling their mouths to ask these questions. And this is for our benefit because as we look at this, we can be so gripped with the truth of it. 
Verse 64, Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And after he said this, the high priest Caiaphas tears his garments because he can't believe what he's hearing. He is hearing Jesus, who now said, it is as you said, I am the Christ, and I will be seated next to the Father. In other words, he is saying to him, I am going into the Holy of Holies. I am going to have access to the throne of God, and I am not just going to have access, but I am going to be seated next to my Father in heaven. And for Caiaphas, he couldn't even believe what he was hearing. Not only did he say, I am the Christ, but I am about to take your job. All right. So they take him over to Pilate. And so I want to turn there. Now remember, Jesus still has the anointing oil. Okay, turn to John chapter 18, verse 33. John has the best account of his conversation with Pilate. All right, we're going to start in uh, chapter 18, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium, again calling Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, isn't it interesting? Again, let's go back to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the priest. What does he talk to him about? The priesthood. He doesn't say, are you the king of the Jews? No. He, when he is in front of the governmental leader in that area who represents the king, he is asking him about his authority, are you a king? Because they're saying you're a king, all right? So he says, are you the king of the Jews? And then we're going to go down to, let's see, through 37. Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, and he said this. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate's like, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered this, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus tells him, yes, I am a king, but I'm not a king like you think I'm a king. I am a king of another world. I am a king of a kingdom that is not of this world. And for this reason, I have been born. So, so far, he has said what? He has said I am the high priest, and I am the king of all the earth, all the heavens, and everything under it. Isn't that incredible? Now, remember, Jesus still has the anointing oil from Mary. 
he's standing there and he's talking to Caiaphas, he's talking to Pontius Pilate, his hair is covered with oil. And so he has got the anointing for both priest and king. All right, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Because this is where Jesus shows up in heaven. It's such a beautiful chapter. So you can see in chapter 4, you've got the throne room, you've got everything that's going on, you've got the, the, the 24 elders, they're throwing their crowns down before the Father who is on the throne. You've got the, the living creatures that are there. And then all of a sudden, you have something shift and something change. You look at the throne of God. He's got a scroll in his hand. The Father has a scroll in his hand. And, and, the, and they begin to cry out in, in verse 2. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open it or even look at it. So I wept much. This was John. I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. All right, here it is. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the whole earth. And then he came. And he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Jesus, the prevailing lamb, the lion of Judah, the seed of David, prevailed. Let's see what he accomplished. Verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Now, remember, they had just fallen down before the father, and they were casting their crowns down before the father. But as the lamb grabbed the scroll, they, they turned and they looked at the lamb, and they began to bow before him, and they began to cast their crowns down before the lamb that was slain from the beginning of time. And the shift happened each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They sang a new song. They sang a new song. There was a song that had been sung for all of eternity, and then he stepped on the scene. The 24 elders bowed down. They cast down their crown. They bowed before him, and then they began to sing the new song of the Lamb. And the song of the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were, you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. The, he's saying there, you have called us home. You have called us home. You have called us back into the family of God. You have called us back into relationship with you. You have called us back to this deep, intimate connection with you. Out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And he said, "Then remember, where, where, where was the battle? What sent him to the cross? 
Caiaphas sent him because he said, I am the Christ. I am the high priest. I am coming to replace you. I have come to replace the law. And then he said to Pontius Pilate, I am the king of all the earth. I am king of the heavens. I am king of the earth. I am king of everything under the earth. I will rule and reign. I have the keys to hell and death. And guess what? I'm going to now take them and I'm going to give them to my kids. I'm going to give them to my father's children. I'm going to give them to my brothers and sisters. I have run before them so now they can run just like me. And they are going to be priests and kings before my God. And they are going to what? Reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is risen. Amen. All right, so I want to now I want to go and I want to tell you about today. Because in Zechariah 4, something very interesting is is prophesied in Zechariah 4. He said this. He said that Zerubbabel shall lay the foundation of the temple, but Zerubbabel shall also finish it. And so you have a foundation that was laid when Jesus came. It's the same as saying the former and latter reign. The former reign was when Jesus came on the earth. What was he doing? He was laying a foundation. He was laying a foundation. But he said, I'm going to bring the same dispensation or the same reality, if not greater. So, so, So again, let's go through the exodus. What happens? Somewhere along the exodus, the glory of God is poured out, right? What number was that? I think it was number four where the glory of God was poured out. So you have the exodus. God's God's calling his people out from the culture. Why? For worship. But he's also along the way anointing them with his glory. And so if we can see that in the beginning, he called his people out because there was an exodus that happened back then. What happened is that he, while he's hanging on the cross, his, his disciples, where are they? They're all hanging out back. They're like, oh gosh, what if anybody thinks that we were with him and what's going to happen to us? And should we go back to work? What are we going to do now? Because he's not here anymore. And again, so then they find out he's raised from the dead. And Jesus is like, hey, this is everything I told you about. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the upper room, and I want you to pray. And I want you to stay there, and I don't want you to move. I want you to stay there and get really good and oily so that when I pour out my spirit, It'll land on that oiliness. When I pour out my power, it will land on love. See, this oiliness that you get in that place of being with him and praying with him, you explode with his love, and then he takes power on top of it, and therefore you won't be destroyed by the power that he has. See how that works? And so what's coming to the body of Christ is the glory of God. What's coming? We, we're looking at this and we're like, oh my goodness, what in the world? I mean, all of the economies of the nations of the earth are shutting down and what are we going to do? And, and the Lord's like, don't worry about that. Remember, in every exodus, exodus, I provided for my people so they could rebuild my temple. So if you are going to be about the Father's business, you're going to get what you need to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Now, we are the temple of the Lord, and that's basically what he's talking about. But God is after an entire generation to come into his house. 
He is after a great harvest. He is after a billion soul harvest. And he's looking at the church right now. And he's saying, I have separated out those who are mine and those who are not mine. And it doesn't matter what church you're in. There are those that he knows because he's watching what you're doing. If you think he's not watching right now, I am telling you, and I am speaking to you as a prophet of the Lord, and I am telling you, the eyes of the Lord are on those whose eyes are on him. And he's saying, I'm separating you so that I can pour out my glory in you and through you for a great and mighty harvest. Amen? Jesus came to take over as high priest and king of all the universe. He got the keys to the kingdom, and he told his disciples, wait for the oil. Wait for the promise. And that's what he's saying to us, I believe. As we move out of this place of Passover and we're, and we're headed into Pentecost, I believe that the Lord is saying, do not leave this place. Don't look at what you, don't look at, 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 and I love what Lana Valzer said recently, don't try to make up for lost time. When the doors and the gates are open for you to start making money again, don't try to make up for lost time. Again, the dream that I had was don't go back to making money the way that you did. Go forward and your provision will be found along the way. God is the God of the universe and he's God of your life. And he's going to take care of you more than you can hope or imagine. So I just want to pray for everyone that's listening today, you know, being born again is not just about going to heaven when you die. Being born again is about going to heaven right after you're born again. And that you have access to Jesus. You have access to his voice. You have access to his face. You have access to all of his resources. He is your teacher, your counselor, your helper your provider, your comforter. He is all of those things. And so if that's you today, if you're feeling a drawing, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and begin to draw the prodigals home to you? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and begin to draw those that don't know you? If you are watching this and you've stumbled upon it today, just looking and seeking for something where your heart can be, if you're, if you're filled with fear and you don't know what's happening, I just want to I just want to tell you that today is your day. Today is your day. And Jesus is your answer. There is no other answer. There is no other God. Jesus is the God of all gods. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And he loves you and he, he wants you. He made you. And he has more than you can hope or imagine in store for you. And so if you want to give your life to Jesus today, or if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, I just want you to say this prayer. Let's just take a minute. Holy Spirit, would you come?